Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back to another episode of Slay House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor. With me today is my special guest, Laura Parnum. She is an author and freelance editor from Philadelphia. Her debut middle grade novel, Peril at Price Manor, releases August 8th from HarperCollins. The novel is a quirky and humorous take on the creature feature movie genre for middle grade readers ages 8 to 12, but is enjoyable for horror fans of any age. Laura is also co-regional advisor for the Eastern Pennsylvania chapter of SCBWI, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Thank you for joining me today, Laura. Well, thank you, Trevor, for having me, and thank you for reading my novel. <laughs> I um, was so excited to pick up your book. Uh, I was, you know, kind of shopping around for an arc to read, something that felt really summery. And the moment I laid eyes on that beautiful cover of uh, Peril at Price Manor, I knew I had to read it. And I was not disappointed. There's so much delightful stuff in this book. Thank you so much. I also love the cover and I feel so lucky to, you know, my publishers, um, picked out the illustrator. And as soon as I saw her artwork, I just fell in love with her style and aesthetics. And so I'm, I feel so grateful to have gotten that amazing cover um, through no work of my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think that um, the business of, of kind of trying to to choose a cover or, you know, compose a cover is a really interesting bit of the business. Um, I, I feel like as readers, sometimes we forget how much work a cover does in like, you know, sparking that interest and in, in really kind of like even setting the mood for the book before you ever even open it. Um, and I, I love children's covers, especially in horror, because um, there's just a kind of a, I don't know, a, a, a rich kind of scene building that goes into a children's horror cover and a, a really good one, I think really stands out. Yeah. And I agree that, you know, they say don't judge a book by its cover, but I think all of us do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and especially when we're talking about children readers, you know, um, I think one of the difficulties of, of any, you know, children literature is, is like, how do I get a kid to read this? Um, I was listening to a podcast with Ali Malinenko just recently, and she was talking about how, you know, you, you have one page to hook a kid, you know, sometimes a, a an adult will give you 50, a hundred pages, but with some kids, it's like maybe even a sentence. So that book, you know, the cover, uh, is, is super important in, in acting as that hook, you know, to try to get a kid into the, the spirit of reading. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and I think that um, the artist did a great job of inviting the readers in, you know, in, this is a podcast, so you can't see the cover, but, 
<laughs> it's got, you know, this sort of looming, uh, the, the Price Manor looming in the background um, and the gate is open. And so it's just sort of inviting the reader in um, and it's got beautiful, rich colors. So um, can't wait for, for kids to see it and to hopefully pick it up and hopefully yeah. read the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, very, uh, very soon on bookshelves. I'm I'm very excited to see it. I keep sneaking into my local bookstore uh, and and like spying out all the covers. <laughs> like, when is it here? <laughs> so I wanted to kind of um, talk to you a little bit about, you know, kind of your your uh, growth as a, a writer and an artist, um, because this is your, you know, your debut children's novel. Right. So um, I guess, you know, I, I've always loved writing um, since I was in, I think, I think in third grade, I fell in love with writing. Um, and it was sort of based on a um, prompt from my teacher. Uh, she had everybody trace their hands on a piece of paper and then write the adventures of five finger island and so <laughs> this idea of five finger island just really um sparked an interest in in me and i think paired with that picture of that you know your hand and you know obviously i i embellished the picture a lot with you know whatever five finger island had going on i think <laughs> my story ended up being about you know some friends and some hidden treasure and some um booby traps and things like that um but i i just think you know a, a little prompt like that can just turn into so much um uh yeah so I think I think that's where it goes like, like a little a little spark turns into a huge story hopefully <laughs> so what was the spark for you that led to um peril at price manor well um I so I had been interested in writing as I said as a kid but then I sort of fell away from it um after college in my 20s, I, you know, had a nine to five job and um, I took a few writing classes here and there just on my own. Um, but I didn't actually start writing um, seriously until I had kids and I was reading with them and I was reading these great middle grade books um, that had these you know, quirky characters and quirky settings. Um, I really liked a series of unfortunate events, the Lemony oh, Snicket yes. series. And um, there's this wonderful series by Mary Rose Wood called The Incorrigible Children of Ashton Place. And I absolutely fell in love with the voice, the characters, and just the, the sort of quirkiness of it all. Um, and it, and it brought that spark back to me, I guess, and, and made me want to start writing again. Um, and I didn't really set out to, to write horror. Um, <laughs> it was just sort of like what happened naturally for me because I have, I, I guess, an interesting upbringing. <laughs> I, I want to hear all about it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, my dad was a um, movie collector, um, and his favorite genre was horror. So we actually had this room in our house that was a, well, when my, my sister and I were little, we called it the monster room. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but then, you know, it became known as my dad's horror movie museum. Um, so he had picture, he had poster horror posters, like wall to wall, and even on the whole ceiling, just plastered, you know, every inch. Um, he had books and magazines, um, all these weird little trinkets from horror movies. He used to, um, go to movie theaters and you know how sometimes they have those promotional cardboards dance yes. uh -huh. like you know whatever it is he would go to the movie theaters and ask could I have that when you're done with it and so we had um a life-size cardboard standee of Freddy Krueger and um we had Chewbacca and R2-D2 um we had we had Sheena you know queen of oh, the jungle yeah. <laughs> so we had all these weird things uh in in his room in our house um and yeah so I basically grew up surrounded by horror film memorabilia <laughs> I absolutely love this story um I also like for some reason or another I ended up with a cardboard cutout of Brandon Routh's Superman um I'm I'm a huge Superman fan and uh, it sits in my library and scares people <laughs> because they don't, <laughs> they don't anticipate, you know, a cardboard standout of a, a man just to be, you know, standing in the corner right. of the room. Well, that brings up an interesting story because when uh, when I was a kid, um, at one point we we were away on vacation and our, our house got broken into. Um, oh no! <laughs> when we well, our neighbor was kind enough to you know take care of things while we were gone, um, and he called the police for us, and he was there to you know um, uh, show the police around, and and so <laughs> so when the police were there, you know my neighbor he said, oh, you, I really want somebody to go upstairs and check on. Um, my dad's um, horror, you know, museum, because, you know, there's a lot of valuable stuff in there. And if anything mm. happened to it, you know, they would be, he would be devastated. So these, these two policemen go upstairs. And when, when they came back down, um, the one policeman was like clutching his chest. And he says, <laughs> I nearly put a bullet through a six foot Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that is seven foot I don't know whatever it yeah, was <laughs> that is absolutely delightful <laughs> yeah it was pretty funny I guess you know my dad got a kick out of that even though our house was broken into but... <laughs> <laughs> well I think your love of kind of horror and horror memorabilia really show up in this book um, because the the book, of course, uh, is about a couple of kids in this manner of of somebody who makes movies and makes you know kind of horror movies. And uh, forgive me, but I I felt like I saw a lot of influence of like obviously Vincent Price, but also you know kind of some Orson Welles. Were there any particular kind of personas that you really drew into the book? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of sort of, uh, inspiration and influences, definitely, um, some of the ones you mentioned, obviously my dad was a big influence and, and mm. the dad in the book is kind of based on my dad, although, 
you know, my my dad doesn't take things to the extreme that Max <laughs> Price does. Um, but I think some of my other influences um, are like uh, Tim Burton and um, oh. mm-hmm. Edward Gorey. So like with, with Tim Burton, you think of the movie Edward Scissorhands and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's this sort of absurd world of like this perfect town where you know everything is seemingly perfect and and organized and nice and then along comes this you know strange being with with scissors <laughs> for hands and uh and the the world is new to him but also you know he sort of um turns the world upside down so that all these you know hidden things come out and um so it was sort of that there's sort of a little bit of that in in my book. You know, we've got Price Manor, and it's this this extravagant mansion that's um, kind of over the top with horror themes. Um, but also, you know, the the kids, um, Maximus Price's twins, are sort of you know naive because they're they've never really been allowed to be in the outside world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then along comes this creature, kind of like, you know, in the Edward Scissorhands, this creature comes along and sort of turns everything upside down. The adults become incapacitated and it's up to the kids to sort of fend for themselves and and figure out what's going on. <laughs> I love that the way you write about the kids in this book. Um you know, I, I know that children's f- fiction, you know, features children. It should feature children. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I felt like uh, you you balanced that kind of naivete, like that kind of like the world is new and exciting um, with a genuine intelligence. You know, the, the kids make informed decisions. And even though those decisions may not always be the right decision, um, there's like a kind of logic that they're playing with and they're they're constantly trying to kind of reevaluate their situation in a way that I think really is very compelling to the story. Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're very intelligent, but intelligence, like if you're if you're intelligent doesn't always make a difference if you're Um, not taught certain experiences or not taught certain skills, which is what's happening with these kids. You know, they're not given life experiences and and taught survival skills. Um, So they just, you know, they're, they're having to use the crazy skills that they do have to sort of navigate their world. So, you know, they, Mm -hmm they have these seemingly useless skills like tapestry weaving and sousaphone <laughs> playing. And you think like, <laughs> what are these, you know, what are these kids going to do with that? But that's, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite parts of the book is they, they actually do get to use these skills in, in their survival. And so, yes. um, you know, they're, they're resourceful. Um, and I think they're, lack of exposure to, um, you know, real world problems. Um, it's, it's kind of, it gives them like this innocent naivete, but then, you know, they're forced to do what they can, um, because the adults are no longer around. 
so there there are some major themes that I wanted to explore with you. But before we do that, I suppose it might be a good idea for our audience um, to maybe know just a little bit, like what is the book about and who are the main characters of the book? So sure. would, would you mind sharing? Yeah, yeah sure. So um, the main character is actually um, a 12-year-old girl named Hallie, and she um has this obsession with horror movies so you know kind of like my dad <laughs> um but she actually she's on the side where she she really wants to be an actress in the horror films um you know she's she practices screaming in front of the mirror and she practices all these <laughs> dramatic facial expressions and she's she's i i'm going to say she's obsessed um and sometimes her her peers and her mom don't really understand this obsession. So she's she's kind of a loner in this, um, except for her aunt who shares the same obsession. But um, there's this horror filmmaker, Maximus Price, who lives right outside of their town. And she's a big fan of his movies. Um, and uh, she finally gets this opportunity to go to his house because she's um, helping her mom out. Her mom has a flower shop and uh, there's a weekly order of flowers that go to Price Manor. Um, the delivery guy can't do it. So Hallie jumps at the chance. She's going to go um, try to try to meet him. She thinks maybe she'll be discovered. Um, <laughs> but when she gets there, there's this slimy tentacled creature that's uh on the loose in the grounds of price manor and um she you know she has all these survival skills because she's watched so many horror movies so she knows all these <laughs> all these rules for surviving dire circumstances um and you know then she meets these these twins um maximus price's twins paisley and argyle and they are just, as I said, they're naive. They're used to being catered to. Um, this creature has been attacking the household staff. And so they're kind of left um, helpless without any uh, breakfast, without any anybody to, you know, go through their day with them. Um, and the one of the funniest parts is that in the, in the beginning, they they just think it's a prank because their dad is known mm -hmm. for his pranks. Um, so that's pretty much what the story is about. Um, these kids, you know, team up together to try to, you know, figure out what's going on with these slimy creatures <laughs> and to find Maximus Price because he's he's missing. They can't find him. So um, a bit of praise I, I have to pass along to you. One of the things I really loved about this book was, you know, all of the different characters and just how like quirky and weird and funny they all were. Um, oftentimes I feel like I gravitate really strongly to like one character over any of the others. Um, and they, you know, are the ones that really resonate and they're like, oh, that's my favorite. Um, I couldn't find a favorite character in this book because at each new passage, I was like, this is so funny. And this is so endearing. And I love every single one of these characters very uniquely. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I I purposely made them very different from one another. Um, so we've got uh, Paisley, who's 
very rigid. She she follows all the rules. She follows the schedule. She's, you know, um, she's very athletic and very energetic. Um, and then her brother Argyle, who's kind of the opposite. He's um he's a little bit lazy, but also he's sort of craving more independence. Um he's a little bit more curious about things. Um so and he he's kind of I guess a little bit nerdy because he he loves <laughs> you know reading about marine biology and things like that. Um, and then there's um, Hallie, of course, who's very independent. You know, she rides her bike all over the place. She's um, cooking her own meals. She's um, uh, just sort of the opposite of them. She she's more worldly. She knows what's going on. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed, you know, creating these, these very different characters and just putting them together and, you know, there's conflict of course, but at the same time they work really well together. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. Yeah. They, they complement each other really, really well. And there, there are so many great character moments that I, I don't want to spoil too much of the book, um, because of course I want readers to kind of find it and interact, you know, in their own way with it. Um, but there were so many character moments that I absolutely loved. Um, one of them was when they are, they're hiding from the Tridecapuses and um, they don't really know what to do with themselves. And so, you know, like Paisley is just like working out constantly <laughs> and Argyle is, is like putting a, a sandwich in the panini press. And <laughs> I just loved so many of those little character interactions and, and character moments when I really feel like they all begin to shine in their own light and you really get to see just how dynamic their personalities are through this book. Yeah, and um, I think it's fun that this whole book takes place in one day. <laughs> yes. Um, and, you know, by the end of the day they've learned so much from each other and they've, they've become so, so resourceful that, you know, when, when the adults do come back into the picture, they're the, the, the twins especially are having to take care of them for once instead of the adults always taking care of the twins. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And this is the first, I think of the major themes of the book, um, that I, I, kind of wanted to open the door to this idea of friendship um, and, and kind of camaraderie and what is accomplishable together, you know, as opposed to just in solidarity. Um, I think that's a, a, a theme that, you know, resonates throughout the book um, pretty strongly. So I kind of wanted to, to hear from you a little bit. Um, you know, what were, were some of the, the creative uh, choices or challenges that um, you settled into as you crafted the book um, and really kind of discovered some of that, that thematic uh, friendship? Yeah, I mean, basically, um, I'm sort of starting out the book where these three kids really don't have friends. Um, we have Hallie, who has sort of because of her obsession for horror movies and, you know, um, her friends don't really understand that. She's sort of um, 
become estranged with with these two best friends that she had, um, you know, in previous years. And and those friends are sort of going one way and she's going another way. They're really into, you know, fashion and and um, I don't know, trendy things. And Hallie is just, you know, not into that and and wants to do her own thing. Um, and then we have the the twins who they've basically been sheltered in Price Manor for their whole lives. Um, and so really they don't have any friends either. They have each other, but you know, they're siblings. So <laughs> yeah, as a, a kid, I had such difficulty making friends. Um, and, and some of that was, you know, kind of situational. My parents homeschooled me, um, which was, you know, a, a choice that they made. I think they made an, educated decision as to you know their reasons why um but that limited my friendship pool um you know it was it was really hard to connect in a a real meaningful way i think to to other kids that i knew you know because sometimes a friendship just doesn't doesn't happen you know organically um right. And, and I think as a child, it's also scary making friends. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I have a friend right now um, whose son is, you know, going through stuff and, and really trying to figure out, you know, like, how do I even make friends? I, I feel like that's one of the, the things that this book does, again, you know, quite well is kind of show this, the, the kind of I think vulnerability of children as they try to conceive of the friendships that they make with one another. Yeah. And I think that this age group is a really strange time in life where friendship dynamics change a lot. Yes. Um, it's like, you know, sixth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. Um, it's, it's sort of a tough time socially, you know, kids are starting to figure out like who's cool and who's not. And <laughs> I guess, you know, Hallie would fit into the not cool uh, group because, you know, she's got this obsession with, with horror movies and nobody understands that. Um, so it is, it is kind of a, a big theme for, I think a lot of middle grade books, you know, there's, there's always mm -hmm. books that, that include bullying and, you know, mm -hmm friendships being lost friendships being gained because I think you know a lot of a lot of kids this age are are going through that um it's just a developmental thing <laughs> yeah yeah it, it really is um I think too about you know the importance of of children's literature in trying to address issues like that um you know I I was a kid growing up i related through books i mean it, it was books were everything for me um how i i learned about myself how i learned about the world it, it was it was through books that i read and I, I don't think it was always a conscious thing you know um i i don't know that i ever put down a book and was like well now i know more about x you know um mm -hmm. sure yeah and, no, unless you're, it was you're absorbing it but you're not consciously absorbing it <laughs> exactly yes um but it still becomes an important part of that identity banking right um i i mean i remember playing out my favorite books all the time you know and and assigning you can be this guy and you can be this gal and and you know this is the story that we're reenacting together or what have you um 
but I, I think it's, it is a really essential part of meaning making. Um, and I think it's important for, for literature to address these things. Um, there's been a little bit of, of, you know, kind of pushback, especially, oh gosh, and I don't want to get into politics, but, you know, especially recently, there's been a lot of pushback about the suitability of certain topics for children's literature. And I think always at the, the kind of edge of this discussion is horror and children's mm -hmm. horror and the suitability of horror for children. Um, a conversation that I, I think has been going on as long as I've been alive. Um, I remember the goosebumps controversy of the nineties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely. I think that the important thing, um, is that that kids read what they enjoy reading and um, a lot of kids do enjoy horror i've got you know librarian friends and teacher friends and they're saying that that kids really you know are, are asking for spooky books or scary books and you know you want to give kids what they want to read because that's what keeps them reading um, if a kid mm. wants to read a spooky book you know they're not going to want to read about, you know, a historical fiction, you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I think like with the, with the pushback on horror, what I have to say is that there's, there's always a line that's, that's not crossed, you know, mm. um, the characters in middle grade horror, they're not getting murdered or maimed or mangled <laughs> or anything like that there's there's definitely lines that that middle grade authors and the editors who you know um work on these books know not to cross um mm. so you know i always think that that they're perfectly appropriate for for kids because you know they're not crossing those lines they're not um you know intentionally trying to harm children <laughs> Yes. Do you feel like as as a writer and and someone who has, you know, it put out a, a book of middle grade horror, do you feel like this in this particular genre and enables you to to have conversations about certain subjects, um, perhaps better than, you know, some other genre? Do you do you feel like it's able to address certain needs for kids? I mean, I don't know if it's any better than any other genre, but I do think that um, middle grade horror does a great job with um, themes of, you know, independence mm -hmm. and resourcefulness and, um, you know, bravery, which are all themes that, that are in my yes. book. Um, and, you know, what better way to introduce those themes than to to stick these characters in these, you know, situations where they, they have to be on their own and, and brave and resourceful. Um, yeah. I'm really glad that you brought up the, you know, ideas of independence and bravery, um, because they are crucial components to, I think, the, the growth of the characters in this book. Um, I especially love Hallie's kind of journey. Um, and, and, you know, even though she's the most independent of the three, I think she, she has a lot of like work that she does to kind of accept her role, you know, to, to kind of like come into herself. 
in a way that I think is really <clears throat> difficult for a lot of children to do, you know, to, to kind of mature into, you know, the, the, the adolescent stage, you know, stage of, of their development and kind of transition into some of their own voice, some of their own power, some of their own sense of self that I think develops so rapidly through this, this, you know, kind of middle school age. Yeah. So in the beginning, um, Hallie is, you know, she sort of sees herself as, as the victim, you know, when she's, when she's picturing herself um, in these horror movies, she's, she's always picturing herself as, as the victim. Um, she <laughs> does have this role model, this one character called Raven Rose, who is always the heroine, but she, um, she never sees herself playing the heroine. She always sees herself playing the victim and running and screaming and hiding. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, she, in the beginning of the book, she sort of, she's confident, but she doesn't realize it. She sort of yes. lacks self-confidence, even though she's, you know, she is independent and she is, you know, sort of spunky and, <laughs> but she, but she, she doesn't see herself that way. She sees herself as, as the damsel in distress. Um, and it's not until she has to, you know, uh, sort of step in and save the day that, that she, you know, has to figure out how to be the heroine. I, um, as you were talking about it, I, 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 a thought kind of crossed my mind that I don't know that I had noticed, you know, kind of previously, but it's interesting how, you know, her, both of her role models, um, you know, are are very feminine, but at the same time, kind of speak to two different extremes of how media presents femininity to us. You know, one is is very passive, is very vulnerable, and one is much more empowering. And I, I think it's interesting that Hallie sees herself or or envisions herself as the one who should be more vulnerable. Um, when in fact her, her power, you know, lies in a very different direction. Right, right. Was, exactly. was that something that that you felt about Hallie too? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you know, again, it goes back to sort of this age where kids are sort of trying to figure out who they are. Um, you know, she's she, in the in one scene, she has a she has sort of a flashback where. Um, I guess a couple years ago, she had broken her leg and I think, or her ankle, I guess it is. I think that, you know, that sort of had an effect on her where she, she, you know, thought of herself as a little bit helpless or a little bit like, you know, the damsel in distress. Um, she's a little bit clumsy. <laughs> and so, you know, she, she trips a lot and she had broken her leg before. And, um, so I think, I think that that kids at this age are always trying to figure out who they are. And, and so that's, that's what Hallie's doing. She's, she's thinking of herself in one way. Um, but then, you know, she has to figure out how to be who she really is. Another thing that I, I kind of resonated with a little bit in this book is um, also, you know, some of the way that I think helicopter parents, for lack of a better term, can kind of limit some of the authority of their children. And and I think 
often about what authority children really have in their lives. Um, you know, call, call it agency, call it authority. But but I think it is important that we see children and and authenticate their feelings and and the things that they go through. Um, because I think as an adult, it's it's all too easy to just dismiss a child and their experience because you have, you know, a much broader perspective. But but for kids, I mean, they need to come into some of that authority. They need to be able to make decisions for themselves. How did you kind of explore some of these ideas in your book, um, especially as it relates to uh, Paisley and Argyle? Yeah, so again, it goes back to sort of my love of a little bit of some some kind of absurdity in the world. So this this Maximus Price, he's um, he's a helicopter parent to the extreme. You know, he's he's so concerned about the safety of his kids that that he just hovers and he doesn't let them do anything on their own without supervision. Or he has his you know enormous household staff do everything for them just because he's. He's so worried about them. And I think, um, you know, that that, of course, is detrimental to their development. Um, and, you know, in, in a way, it's I meant it to be funny because, you know, the kids <laughs> end up just like not knowing how to do anything. Um, but it is, you know, it is sort of a, a commentary on, you know, the types of parents who are a little bit like that, who, you know, do everything for their kids or who just, you know, don't let them grow in ways that, that they're perfectly capable of being able to grow. Yes. I resonate with that very strongly, not because my parents were helicopter parents or anything like that, but um, I definitely think it, it, there is a need for kind of like guided skill building, you know, and, mm -hmm. and like I said, you know, kind of a coming into one's authority. And I think that this book does that really well. Um, it's, it's a very quirky, very humorous trial by fire for these kids. Um, but they also learn so much about themselves through facing that adversity, um, you know, kind of through having to, to kind of solve these solutions themselves and find their voice in the process. Yeah. And I think um, it's a lot like what, you know, these, the readers are going through in this stage of their lives. Um, you know, so middle grade is supposed to be for like ages eight to 12. And mm -hmm. this age group is when kids are just starting to do things on their own without, you know, their parents help. So maybe they're walking to school or walking to their friends' houses by themselves. And they're, you know, learning how to fix their own snacks and lunch and breakfast. So it's, it's very much a time period where um, parents have to step back and <laughs> let, let kids learn how to do these things on their own. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm a little guilty of being a helicopter parent myself because, you know, I make lunches for my kids for school still. And <laughs> so, um, you know, I have to learn some lessons from my own book, I guess. <laughs> it's a difficult balancing act. You know, he, he, there's, uh, there's definitely extremes, you know, there's the, the, the extreme helicopter parenting, like, 
Maximus Price. But there's also like the extreme opposite of like just throwing them to the wolves, come what may. And I, I right. think there needs to be a, you know, pa parenting is a balancing job. And I think one of the most heartbreaking components of it is like kind of recognizing or realizing that um, you're only so much human, you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and finding that balancing act can be really difficult. Yeah. And it's funny. I think, you know, a lot of parents um, in my generation were, you know, we grew up in the seventies and eighties and, and parents were very sort of standoffish at that, at that <laughs> point. Um, you know, my sister and I were latchkey kids and we sort of had the run of the house in the summertime when our parents were at work. And, um, you know, I think, I think kids nowadays or parents nowadays are a little less, um, hands-off and they're a little more hands-on. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it's a result of being parented the way we were or. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm honestly not sure. I, uh, full disclosure, I am not a parent myself, um, <laughs> but I, my, both of my siblings have kids now. And uh, so I see, I see, you know, the way that my sister raises her children and the way that my brother is raising his child. And um, I, I think it's always just like a generational learning process, you know, mm -hmm. like we have to reflect on our childhoods and think about what our parents did and the ways that our parents did it right or how they messed up and then, you know, try to, to correct and, and do the thing that you do while also somehow recognizing that like, you're going to mess this up too. Like it's, it's just parenthood. <laughs> like that's just being a human being. Um, you, you have to kind of figure it out as you go. Um, that's certainly the relationship that I've had with my parents. Um, just, you know, re reflecting on, on all of the decisions that they've made with the best of their ability and, and recognizing, you know, where they really did an excellent job. Like my parents never withheld a book from me for any reason. Um, and I love them for that. Uh, but also, you know, they, they did weird things too. I'm not, you know, gonna <laughs> lie. And I think that's just the game, right? Like that's just kind of, being human tying this back to peril and price manner one of the things among the many things that i love about this book is um how maximus price you know kind of reflects on his parenting experience and you know toward the end of the book kind of actually listens to his kids um mm -hmm. i think this is a book that is is great it's great for kids. Like absolutely think that there's so much value in this book, but I think too, it's, it's great for parents. I encourage parents to read more children's fiction to understand what, you know, their, the, their kids' concerns are going to be and to, to, to open those doors to, to conversation, but also to see good parents like Maximus, Maximus Price as he reflects on you know, some of his decisions and, and kind of has to grow as a character too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I agree. <laughs> I would love for parents to read children's books, you know, um, there's, there, there's sort of a, a way that, that children's authors sometimes get, you know, talked down to like, Oh, when are you going to write a real book and, and things like that? <laughs> 
it's just like, well, well, these are real books. And, and in some cases, they're even more important than books for adults because, because we're really, you know, trying to uh, connect with kids who are, you know, just learning and growing and, and mm-hmm. developing as human beings. Yeah, there is so much craft that that you have to put into a, a, a children's book to make it good, you know, to, to like really connect with your readers. Um, next time you hear one of these, you know, people say that to you, Laura, send them my way because I will I will have words for them for sure. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll do that. Well, I, I think it's about time to kind of wrap up. Um, this has been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for indulging me. Well, thank um, you. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I absolutely love this book. Um, listener, if if you are here in stepping into the dog days of summer, please go out and get yourself a copy of Peril at Price Manor. It is so much fun. Thank you so much.